0: Hello, and welcome to episode 191 of Smarts, which as we all know stands for
1: Superfan Mona's Austin romanticism transcends shenanigans.
0: Ooh, very good.
1: <laughs> I Thanks, Mom.
0: I'm your host, Rediger <laughs> Q Podcaster, and you are.
1: Hello, I am Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. <laughs> Okay. Ready uh,
0: for news? Yeah. So we have a little bit of news this week. Okay. Um. So a little bit of troubling news. Who knows? So um, Swamp Thing, the DC Universe original series, which we just got the first little teaser trailer for. I know. Is set to debut in about a month as soon as the season of Doom Patrol is over. Okay. Um, But there was some behind the scenes turmoil apparently where it's being filmed where the word came down from on high that the series order which was going to be whatever it was going to be, 14 episodes, 15 episodes uh-huh. has been cut uh, to for th- to be three or four fewer episodes than was originally intended. And basically production is, they're like, okay, guys, shut down production right now. Like stop filming. Wow. So the, the writers are scrambling to write a new ending and they're going to have to film something, but it was truncated at the 11th hour after everything, after... So much like, work went into it. A, dozen, a in- dozen episodes were in the can. Oh my God. So people are there's all sorts of theories banding about about this it could just be that it was a trouble production we'll know when we watch the series if it's if it's terrible then that kind of makes sense answers
1: itself yeah um
0: in a in a way i would kind of prefer that that were the explanation because the alternative which is the other thing that i've seen banded about is is more troubling to me as a fan of the service and of the original shows they've been doing in general mm-hmm. which is that Um, the new management at Warner Media, which, of course, owns DC Comics and all this other stuff, you know, AT&T, and this is all part of the same company now, um, has decided to put all their eggs in a new Warner Media streaming service to compete with Disney+, and Netflix, and Hulu, and Apple TV+, and so on, and doesn't want a bunch of little streaming fiefdoms Mm -hmm. running around, like DC Universe and Pottermore or whatever like you know yep. all these other little things they want to put all of their big guns into one new streaming service to try to get everybody to pay for that because it's seeming more and more likely that the old cable model is going the way of the dinosaur in the future will be you pay 10 bucks a month for whatever services you want or sure. some bundle of them through some aggregator like Apple or whatever and you get the the quote-unquote channels which are basically streaming services that you want you know right. it's kind of like cable bundles except everything's going over the top instead of through a Right. I guess it is still coming through a cable. It's just coming through a cable Ultimately, in a different kind yeah. of way. Mm-hmm. Unless you're getting it all over cellular or something. Mm-hmm. Um, which would mean, if this is true, that the DC Universe service is doomed, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't keep doing originals, or that even the originals they've been doing, like Titans, Young Justice, and Doom Patrol, wouldn't continue to get new seasons. It's just that they would be part of this Warner Media app, which... they're launching later this year. Okay. And the DC Universe service that currently exists would be sunsetted, which means that all the added perks you have of that, you know, like the the behind-the-scenes stuff, the massive and ever-growing comics library, you know, the forums, the shop, all the other stuff, the encyclopedia, that all goes away. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only part of that I would really miss is the, the the comics library, which is super handy to have for essentially free if you're paying for the... The way I look at it is we're basically paying for the shows. Yep. And we're getting... Tens of thousands of, you know, yep. on-demand comics for free. Essentially, um, if they were to do, a, if they were to fold all the originals into the Warner Media app, I can't imagine it's going to have a comics component. Just like Disney Plus is not going to have a comics component. It's it's for streaming TV shows and movies. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean. This is a long. This is a lot of supposition based on the fact that a series order for one show out of the four shows they've done so far has been cut, mm-hmm. and there's been no word. I mean, Doom Patrol was picked up for a second season. Titans is already filming their second season. There's been no word about more Young Justice, unfortunately. But we, for all we know, uh, so far as we know, the Harley Quinn animated series and Jeff Johns Star Girl series are still moving ahead. We get, right. There's new casting for Star Girl every week. Yep. So those things are still moving ahead. Yep. Um, if if the service was being terminated, I have to think that they would, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, maybe they would move ahead with those projects, but just at a later date, announce that they're instead going to be on this new Warner thing instead of DC Universe. Right. But if they're going to move all the existing properties over to that, why cut the Swamp Thing series order at all? Why mm-hmm. not just let it roll out and then move it over to the other new thing? So something tells me there's more going on here than just the DC Universe service might not be around forever because it is getting good numbers it seems like it's doing well you know its membership is growing this the streaming number like the, the viewership numbers for the streaming shows are off the charts like mm-hmm. they've all been doing really well so by all measures it seems to be ahead it would really it would make me sad if the service only lasts a year or something because the corporate overlords decide to put everything together. I mean, in the end we'd still get all the same shows probably. Certainly the back catalog of DC stuff would be there in some hypothetical Warner app. Mm-hmm. The originals presumably would continue too because like Netflix, like Disney Plus, like Apple, they they realize that what you sell the service on is good to have a back catalog, but what you sell the service on are the originals, mm-hmm. you know. You're getting Disney Plus, it's cool to have all the Pixar back back catalog and the Disney catalog there and it's cool that Captain Marvel will be there on day one but what you know what gets people really excited is you know the Loki series or the Mandalorian right like right. That's, what you're, that's what they want to get the day one customers excited about not oh you can watch you know Lady in the Tramp whenever you want you know what I mean yeah. like that's obviously that's useful but this, the originals are what you sell these things on as Apple has obviously learned and as DC Universe has learned like you put the originals Yep, at the forefront. So we would still presumably get DC originals if mm-hmm. we were, were to move over to the Warner thing. Um, but I do feel like the it's cool to have a service that's really targeted just for the fans. Like mm-hmm. if they're going to if they're going to do DC Universe originals for a big omnibus Warner Media streaming app, don't you feel like they'd probably want to go with Marquee? Names mm-hmm. like They'd want to have a Superman show or a Batman show. Like the fact that they're able to do a Titan show or a Doom Patrol show mm-hmm. or more episodes of Young Justice, I feel like is because they know that they just they have a viewership made up of exclusively the hardcore DC fans who are going to get excited about a Doom Patrol show or a Stargirl show mm-hmm. who know who Jeff Johns is and are excited to see him bring this character that he yeah. created 20 years ago to life in a way that only he can, Right. right. Whereas people that are subscribing to Warner Media to be able to watch the Harry Potter movies over and over again aren't going to care about Stargirl, right? Like, we've talked about this before, the niche versus broad appeal of the DC Universe service, but it appears to be doing well, so it doesn't need broad appeal. But if they want to move the same license over to a more general-purpose targeted app, I have to think that the the shows that they're being told to produce from on high would have to be a bit more... um, you know, would have to appeal to a broader demo than the Stargirl series would, you right. know? There mm-hmm. would hopefully be a mix, but I don't think it's going to be the mix we're currently getting, which I'm enjoying because I've seen so many stories about Superman and Batman, but I've never seen a Doom Patrol show. I've never seen a Stargirl show, right. you know? I, yeah. There's no other way you're going to get more episodes of Young Justice as it currently stands. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd be sad if that happened. It's, a, you know, it's a lot of speculation based on three episodes being cut from the Swamp Thing series, which there could be any number of explanations for, but yep. the fact that they haven't, that this story broke like a week ago and nobody has issued any sort of uh, correction or press release or whatever to say, don't get carried away, it's just because the actor got sick or something like that, yeah, leads me to believe that there is something going on that they don't want public. The only question is, is it happening at the like production level, i.e. the show is not of high quality, right. or is it happening at the corporate level, i.e. they were told to shut it down because they're reconfiguring everything and they're not you know right the higher-ups are not interested in a swamping show anymore so Mm -hmm. i don't know well i don't know it'll be could be a long time before we know what this is all about i mean the the next strike two would be if we hear that one of the shows the upcoming shows that they've already announced Mm -hmm. like um like the harley quinn show or star girl or whatever um are canceled or if they if they announce if they don't announce any upcoming originals mm-hmm. because they've shown that they want to have a new original episode of something every week it's been the case so far with the exception of like a one week gap between when Titans ended and Young Justice began the same between Young Justice and Doom Patrol but clearly the the idea is to have something new there every week if Swamp Thing ends and Harley Quinn ends and Star Girl ends this will be like by the end of the year that all this finishes and there's nothing new there to replace them then yeah. that probably means that there's that they're not producing more stuff. You know? Right. So we'll have to wait and see. But anyway, that's our only news. So what was your comic of the week?
1: So this week I picked Naomi number four. Um I pick it every single time it comes up. I think I've picked every single issue so far. I think
0: I picked the first one.
1: I yeah, it we ha- we co picked and ha- we co <laughs> It has been
0: picked every time it's come out at the at the very least, yes. It's
1: tremendous. The art continues to be amazing. The relationships that make the characters th- so three-dimensional in my mind continue to be amazing. The story that um, that the father is telling Naomi, Naomi's dad is telling her, um, is, is really compelling and interesting and, and adventurous. And the art that rendered them 20 years younger, you know, 16 years younger, where he doesn't have that much of a dad punch. And um, her mom, who is an artist, is even more esoteric and you know hair dyed nose piercing all the yeah. she, <laughs> the was, like a, she was like a gen
0: x yes punk. Yeah, yeah and she
1: was fabulous and gorgeous and and just um vivacious in that youthful crazy kind of way and the i mean the art is just stunning it really is but the story is so good it's just so good they came short story they came from ran they were at war with thanagar he, well, he was a, he came he, from ran yeah. correct yes he came from ran he was at war with thanagar Thanag- he knows who d is we learned last issue that um d was a thanagarian so, uh, soldier also on the run and um her dad was special ops for lack of better terms um and Came to this planet on a recon mission to hunt down the runaway Thanagarian, and but he didn't get any follow-up orders, and he's been waiting for those follow-up orders, and nothing, 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 and then suddenly the um, the both of both D and he had their communicator signal pipe up at the same time they go to the same place and they realize they they were both summoned there and they're ready to fight each other but they don't really that's not what they want to do and then suddenly the sky opens up and a battle ensuing um happens and that's how naomi comes to this planet and her mother or guardian or somebody that neither of them know nobody knows who this woman was that was carrying her and saying you know they won't take her they won't kill her you know. she dies in the conflict so there are no answers to be had and that's how but the the Ranian and the Thanagarian band forces to save the baby and defend the people that are clearly under attack unarmed um and after everything is dispatched and everything is settled down they uncover the swaddling clothes of a little baby and a special little moon baby do you remember how she was drawn she was wearing some sort of a like a baby onesie with a moon crest on it, so clearly she's special for some reason, but nobody knows why, and that's that's how, how that's how he became a dad. Oh, oh, it's such a good story! I just can't wait to see what happens next. I mean, it's so heart wrenching too because the answers that Naomi wants about her parentage and her origins are only partly filled in, and so you you're just craving the rest of the puzzle. Oh, it's just such a good story. It really is. I love it so much. I really am enjoying it so, so much.
0: I mean, the the twenty year joke about Bendis is that his, his comics are just characters talking for twenty pages. And okay, it's, fair. It's as true of the series as it is of anything else, because there was like one two page fight scene between Superman and Mongrel in the first issue, and literally <laughs> everything else has has either been flashbacks, which were mostly talking with a little bit of action, or present day yeah. scenes with characters talking. And I'm not and it's and I'm not saying it's a it's a bad thing. I'm saying that, you know he's leaning into it definitely, because this is a series about you know characters. Talking for six issues, sure. and then presumably she'll become like some sort of superhero at the end, and then she'll go off and have adventures, and there'll be action there wherever that happens. No, me, Volume Two, or but Young they're Justice. They're still talking about that action. I mean, the
1: Thanagarian, so first, they're talking uh, there was about a lot.
0: action. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a fine. Comic for you. Yeah,
1: I know. They're talking about action that has co- uh, taken place, but it's so irrelevant to what makes this story tick that it's just. It's the
0: Rosenkranz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. of. Uh, of the Wonder Comics imprint, its characters talking about other exciting things that that, that that is that we don't get to see. Yeah, Wolf. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not it's not a complaint. I, it's it, it is it knows exactly what it is and it does it very well. But if you go in expecting like a, an action book, I feel like it works better like the Young Justice comic, which I'm also really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes falters a little bit for me there because there's so much talking there and there's only been like, wh- there's been like one fight scene in five issues or something in the Young Justice comic and that was an issue number one and everything else has just been like flashbacks or characters talking and quipping at each other. I feel like it works better here because it sort of fits what the series is trying to do but for a big action team book, I feel like having four issues of the characters just being in jail cells and, and quipping with each other is, is not maybe what you're, what you're looking for but I feel like it works here very well. yeah. yeah. So I picked uh, Justice League number twenty-two, nice, um, yes. which was the uh, the issue by uh, James Tunney in the fourth and uh, Francis Manipool on art. His art is always wonderful. Of course, he did yeah. the he did the New Fifty Two Flash series. He did the uh, the art on the Trinity series for the first couple of years. Who's and
1: then, doing the art on Naomi? I want to give them a share. Jamal Campbell. Oh, he's so good. He's so good.
0: Um, but the, for me, it was the 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 plotting in this issue that was great because it took all of the um, the hints and. Uh, reveals that we've gotten about Perpetua and Doom and Justice and the Monitor, the Anti-Monitor, the World Forger, mm-hmm. you know, the multiverse before this one, the fate of this multiverse, the sixth dimension, all these things, and that we that we the characters have been referring to or that have been hinted at and laid it out for us in like a linear, like basically Justice League issue zero is essentially what this is because it's showing us explicitly, narratively, all the things that have just been obtusely referred to or mentioned by characters so far right like who is perpetua how did she create you know the beings we later knew to be the monitor and the anti-monitor how's the world forger relate to this what's the special deal with this multiverse what are her motivations mm-hmm. you know what is what are these beings that are like above all this that are judging this multiverse apparently if it slides off to, was you know what's the ge- ge- geographically like how does the source wall and the bleed relate to all this was the origin of the source mm-hmm. wall we find out here all these things um So it ties all that together and really gives you a good sense of the stakes here. And I feel like um, even though this was one, like the the DC universe, the DC multiverse, the history of the crises, all this stuff is, of course, retcon, piled on top of retcon, piled on top of retcon. This is no exception. Like, obviously, this issue is, it's called the first crisis, but all of this is, you know, it's not not like when um, Gardner Fox wrote... Crisis on Earth 2, I guess, was the first crisis story and the first JLA-JSA team-up in the 60s. It's not like he's thought, well, you know, 50 years from now, someone will reveal that there was a crisis before this or whatever, you know. Um, but the the uh, the history of, you know, the monitor and the anti-monitor, why the anti-monitor hates the monitor and wants to destroy everything that he's responsible for right. monitoring. <laughs> um, the origins of, the you know, the positive matter universe, versus the anti matter universe versus the source wall versus the bleed the multiverse versus the greater omniverse, all these things. Um, like it ties it all together in such a way that it, it kind of, it, it very nicely doesn't throw out any of the classic stuff. Like it doesn't invalidate, say, Crisis on Infinite Earths. It just provides more um, information about, say, the anti-monitor's motivations and right. things like that. Like all those stories are still in continuity and still make sense as much as any crisis story is in continuity because usually it ends with continuity being changed. Um, but the monitors have kind of always been the ones who were above all that. Like, the crests on infinite Earths might have reduced... They even say that in this issue, like, it was a multiverse, then it became a universe, then it became a multiverse again, you know? Like, the like the characters in the DC universe aren't aware of all that necessarily. We, the readers, are because, you know, we read the stories where continuity has changed, but the monitors are like, whoop, continuity just changed again. Like, they can see it happening because they're, they're above all of that. They exist on a higher plane, you know? Yeah. So... Barry Allen might not remember who Jay Garrick is right now but the monitors know that oh well they used to have all these team ups and then everybody forgot who Jay Garrick is and the same with Wally West like they're aware of all this so they That's can funny. they're taking this broader view of things and it's interesting to see their side of things fleshed out because even on Crisis on Infinite Earth, the monitor wasn't really a character and the anti-monitor wasn't really either they were just sort of like the anti-monitor especially was more of just like a primal force that represented like anti-life for lack of a better term if you want to right. divorce that term from like the fourth world implications he just wanted he represented antimatter, and so he wanted to consume all positive matter and mm-hmm. so he was consuming one universe after another in the infinite multiverse you know but he didn't really have a motivation per se he was just sort of like this big monster guy you know right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's interesting to get a lot here. And it, it, it's interesting that they put it in here now at basically the halfway point. I think because Scott Snyder has said that his Just League run is sort of a two-year plan. And this is issue 22 in their biweekly issue. So this is basically the halfway point. So everything we've learned so far, you drop this now and just like, okay, is everybody clear on the stakes and the motivations here? Because now as we're going to the second half of this run, yep, all the, all the the everything has been revealed and now they can just you know yep. go into the end game basically so I think that it's it was well positioned and well told and well drawn obviously and I really you know as, as looking at it from like a continuity perspective like oh it's really cool that they work this in and this thing like oh the world forge is like oh I created this little pet called Barbatoes. oh like, man <laughs> like, you know. that's what I was
1: about to say I was about to say the one thing that really made me crack up and just stop and reread panels was the joke about Barbato's hilarious well I mean, it
0: wasn't really a joke like that was what no, he I was that, in the dark knight's metal like that's when scott snyder created the idea of the dark multiverse and the world forger and so on he retconned grant morrison's creation of Barbatos from his batman run as being this um like cerberus like the cerberus of the dark multiverse basically. but
1: the fact that he treated him like a tiny little elf pet was just yeah, adorable it and hilarious took him, like
0: countless eons to evolve into the big massive monster he is now or alternatively the, another perhaps more interesting way to view it is from their perspective he is this tiny little creature yeah. it's just from the perspective of our guys he's this infinitely massive. powerful monster well, but yeah. it just shows you the scale of the, that Perpetua and, and her children are operating at yes. if the creature we know as Barbatos is like just this a little tiny joke little... pet to them yeah. You know? yeah, but it did kind of get out of their control and run rampant so I think it is probably more powerful later than it was when it was first created here But understood because it was like chewing on all those dark No, he eats the
1: ones that didn't. Yeah, and he's
0: been doing that for basically the entire life of this multiverse. So yeah, yeah, of course he would get stronger over time. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it.
1: I did too. That was great.
0: So should we move on to our game slash
1: game quiz thing? Game so so we've been having
0: so much fun ranking Star Trek stuff, Okay. so I thought we'd keep that going. And so I thought we would rank Star Trek time travel episodes, because oh this season finale of Star Trek Discovery, of course, had a lot of time travel Let's stuff. Let's do it. So this is by no means a complete cataloging of Star Trek time travel episodes, because there'd be like 50 of them.
1: Just in this season.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I had to, and I actually excluded yeah. I excluded Enterprise and Discovery entirely, because they had entire season-long plots. Of that time revolved travel. around time travel. And so it say. would be hard and also kind of distant. unfair to pick out individual episodes. So these are all from the first four. You still
1: haven't read the third Harry Potter book, correct? Right. Okay, so then I'm not going
0: to Does the me. Enterprise show up there? And no, no, no. And thus it is relevant? I was just
1: going to make jokes <laughs> that you won't get. That's all okay. Right. Go ahead.
0: Um, so these are all from the first four series. They're excluding the Enterprise okay. and, and Discovery. Okay, Let's do this. Um, so a few from each one. So City on the Edge of Forever, of course, oh. from TOS. Um yesterday's enterprise some of these you probably know by name yesterday's enterprise from TNG you know remember yesterday's enterprise that's, was that
1: that's... the season finale i mean series finale
0: no, that was Best of Both. That was um, All Good Things. I actually left out the season, f- the series finales also because we've, we've already sure, rated we've, series finales and they it. often okay. revolve around time travel. All Good Things. Yeah. Um, okay, understood. So, futures tell me end? about yesterday's... No. Endgame. What was the name of the Voyager? It was Endgame, wasn't it? Yeah. I remember thinking it was a generic name, but now Endgame sounds really cool because it of the is, Avengers movie, yeah. but I think it was Endgame. Um, yeah, Journey's End was that bad TNG episode where Wesley left because of Native Americans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, no, yesterday's Enterprise is the one where the Enterprise C comes forward in time oh. to erupt, and, and all of a sudden, the Federation is militaristic, and Tasha Yar is back on the bridge, yeah. and there's no war for Wesley on the ship, and only Guinan knows that things used to be different, and they have to send the Enterprise Ooh, C back. That's so right. Cool. so that was yesterday's Enterprise. That's great. Um, Time's Arrow from TNG, which is the two-parter with Mark Twain and Data's head. Yeah, okay. Um, Past Tense from Deep Space Nine, which is the one with uh, Cisco and Bashir um, and Dax going back in time to solve uh, homelessness.
1: That's right. Um, that was a good
0: one. The Visitor from Deep Space Nine, which is the one where Jake is gradually getting older and his father is appearing to him throughout his life. The rubber band, yeah. Trials and Tribulations from Deep Space Nine, which is, of course, the one where they go back and and, uh, walk around behind the scenes of The Trouble with Tribbles. (laughs) A Year of Hell from Voyager, which was the two-parter with Kurtwood Smith, where he had the ship that could change time. And so oh, yes. Vo- Voyager went through this year of hell where you know, Tuvok got blinded oh, so and everybody good. was burned and the ship was breaking up. And Janeway was the last one standing on the ship at the end. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I do. Um,
0: and then finally Timeless from Voyager, which was the 100th episode, which is the one where Chakotay and Harry Kim have to change history because Voyager tried using oh, the transwarp yes. drive and crash landed on an ice planet. Um, so oh, they have yeah. to change history and Captain Geordie Laford shows up to try to stop them, but they ultimately end up, of course succeeding. That's right, right? that's right. so those are your those are your choices.
1: Okay, um, all right, let's see. Mm. I choose
0: okay
1: I love times I, let's see. I think my favorite one has to be the city on the edge of forever.
0: really, okay. Yeah.
1: Because it had this beautiful old timey feel to it, which it was meant. That's because to. it's old. No, ha, ha. <laughs> it's no, it's no, 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 no. But there was something so forward thinking about it. Like you actually felt that Kirk and Spock were from the future, and I think yeah. that it was well, infused yes. with this. I don't know. It was just it had the right spirit that holds up even now. Well, and also it. to me, anyway. I,
0: and also, when you're watching, when you're watching Tos straight through, it's like it's like. Um, cold water in the face because huh. it is so unlike any other TOS episode and just tonally like in terms of the characterization, like what it actually did to Kirk as a character, like he actually had like character growth and a, an a emotional dilemma and a real attachment in this episode, whereas usually that's not so much the case in TOS, you yes. know, mm-hmm. um, yep. it was normally like the episodes that stick out in your mind from TOS um, are the ones that were different, like Trials with Tribbles, this one, a couple of others, right? The ones that broke the mold, that weren't just like the planet of the week, you know, the space alien woman of the week, the computer of the week that Kirk had to talk into destroying itself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It is a a classic episode. I'm just, and it is excellent, but I think that the later stuff just seems to me to be so much more sophisticated. The reason why it stands out, the reason why Sitting on the Edge of Forever stands out so much is because it was so, so great for the time. I'm just not sure if you stack it up against some of the, better ones elsewhere in this list I think I'm also
1: giving me. it a, 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 an, okay so maybe it'll be a, l- lower on your list than number one obviously but um, I mean it was a tremendous episode but it also it just kicked things off and so I'm giving it extra points for that I think it, emotionally like it wasn't even the first time spe- travel
0: episode they did though there were other time but travel this episodes one, in TOS. but this
1: one holds up this one this yeah one... the other
0: ones were pretty dumb you remember the one where it, it started it just literally started and they were already back in time and that, that uh, fighter pilot uh, like came aboard the Enterprise and they're like, oh, we can't send you back because now you've seen the Enterprise. And then there was the one that was a backdoor pilot for another show where Gary Seven oh, that was terrible. and his cat and his shape-changing cat were trying to uh, save a missile uh, rocket launch right, or something. Yeah. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, that was terrible. Um, irrelevant though. Um, I'm going to go back to my ranking and try to think of these. I, you had more time with these titles than I did, obviously, because you put this uh, quiz, quiz activity. Qu- activity. I like it. (laughs) You're giving me a nod that it's not bad. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, Quacktivity. Um, Let's see. So let me see. Hmm, Yesterday's Enterprise was really good, but that's not going to rank number two. Times arrow. uh, I don't remember what you said.
0: Times arrow. Mark Twain.
1: Mark Twain. Oh, oh, that was really good. Oh, That two-parter was pretty awesome. What was past tense again? Homeless. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. can't remember the visitor either sorry what was the visitor
0: old jake cisco
1: oh that was tremendous that's that's my number two yep old jake cisco
0: easily top five episodes of deep space nine if not top three
1: that's gonna be number two for me that's so amazing it was so god i cried Yeah, we watched that that. we had a new we (laughs) We watched that we had a
0: new son and we watched that one it was like that's really a punch in the gut
1: that was tremendous, yeah. Son
0: growing up without his father and doing everything he can to get his father back, like sacrificing his whole life, yeah. the whole life that he lived he just to be still, able to go back because the boy that he used to be needed a father and yep. didn't have it, you know?
1: Yep. That was un- unbelievable. Um, what was Timeless again?
0: <laughs> the one where Chakotay and Harry Kim have oh, to that. stop okay. Voyager from crossing into the ice That planet. was a good
1: one, but no. Um, I'm going to say... Yeah, so definitely The Visitor. Then... Um, this is not good. You should have put little notes next to it because I can't remember. Now I'm about to ask you about Time's Arrow. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Time's hour is number three for me. Um, what was Past Tense again? <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> the Homeless. <laughs> the Homeless.
1: Past Tense, definitely. That one was, uh, that's going to stay at number four. Time's Arrow was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And then... Ye- mm, timeless, Year of Hell.
0: Really? Timeless prior. above Year of Hell. Year of Hell is everybody's favorite Voyager episode.
1: I'm good for them. I'm not because that that's group. the
0: one where you you actually get to see the show that everybody wanted to see, which is actual consequences. Well, you know, the don't... ship taking damage over time. Well, I'm just I'm just reminding, <laughs> I'm just reminding you. What was I, good I about understand. That
1: episode. I know. I know it was good about that episode, and it did resonate with me. But I'm sorry. I liked. T- I enjoyed Timeless better. Okay. Um. So I ch- I choose Timeless, and then I choose uh, Trials and Tribulations at the bottom because as oh did I do yesterday's Enterprise? No, I forgot Um, that one. So, okay, this is really tough without like a notebook. All right. City at the Edge of Forever, The Visitor, Time's Arrow, Past Tense, Yesterday's Enterprise, Timeless, Year of Hell, Trials and Tribulations.
0: You you loved Trials and Tribulations at the time.
1: I loved it, but it didn't really accomplish anything. It It was just fun. It It
0: was for the anniversary. It It was was, the... the
1: it was just a 30th anniversary of, of star
0: trek and it was supposed to be a fun it was
1: hilarious i have to tell you like just because they're they come at the bottom of the list doesn't mean that this is like yeah, the dregs the, of put, the bottom you you, put, you picked some seriously time, 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 wonderful timeless, timeless
0: and times arrow above it though whatever which i like also but i feel like don't quite have the dramatic actually yeah of...
1: no no timeless <laughs> actually no, 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 no yeah you're right Okay, reverse timeless. Okay, whatever with trials and tribulations, whatever
0: numbers those were, yeah. listener, reverse them and yeah, <laughs> nobody exactly. remembers. Nobody remembers. Um, so for me, um, let's see. It's hard. It's it'd be between yesterday's Enterprise and the Visitor. I think I have to give it to yesterday's Enterprise just because that was such a it was so good. That was that was that was one of the first. That was a season three episode, and so I think that was the one of the earliest episodes where people were like, whoa, this show has really mm-hmm, hit its stride." Mm-hmm. And it, the the idea of like bringing Tasha Yar back and even even the one-off characters in that episode are interesting. Like Captain Garrett, the, the female captain of the Enterprise C. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the actor. He played Jor-El in Superman the Animated Series. But the, the guy that, uh, that Tasha kind of falls in love with and then ends on up him. the helmsman on the Enterprise C or, or whatever he was and then ends up sort of staying on the Enterprise C when they go back in time to be with him. I forget the name. Christopher, Christopher McDonald. That's his name. Yeah. Um, yeah he's always good in everything so he was great here he's too great. And Picard, and all, even the regular actors gave a great performance like Whoopi Goldberg was great Picard was great as a version of Picard that was a soldier and not an explorer <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. Riker was uh, like Jonathan Frakes in this episode w- was great as a version of Riker which like low-key hated Picard in the background like he just like he just didn't like this guy like it's clear that they didn't like each other in this timeline for whatever reason like yeah. all the circumstances that led to them meshing so well in the, re- in the original timeline just didn't exist here like I could easily see Picard being kind of a not a bad not a bad captain, but like an unpleasant captain to serve under in wartime. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because he's he's not even he's not that pleasant a fellow. Nor, listen, <laughs> I love Picard. He's not really what you would call a pleasant, congenial oh. fellow in the best of times. To those who serve to in like in a professional capacity anyway. If you're his friend, sure. But like to his to his subordinates.
1: No. He made relationships work with every single one of his subordinates. It took him
0: seven years to go sit doesn't at the poker matter. table though. That was the whole point of that last episode, is that he Whatever. doesn't he doesn't relate to them on a personal level. But
1: he did and he
0: yeah, but this all this it Picard, took for them
1: to do it was to approach him, and then he did, you know, he did the honorable thing where he was like. All it
0: took was almost the end of the universe an uh-huh, intervention from Q, uh-huh, <laughs> three uh-huh. different timelines converging uh-huh. to get him to sit down at that poker table. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I have to put yesterday's Enterprise, then The Visitor was a close second. Um, Trials and Tribulations, just because it's so much fun yeah, and they it was did a lot such a of fun. great, it's just such a tremendous um, Trials and Tribulations, and and. What was, the, what was the one that Voyager did? I guess I could have included this, but it was really more of like a mental thing than a time travel thing. Uh, Voyager's episode that they did for the anniversary was the one that had Sulu in it, where they went into yeah. Tuvok's mind to go back to this trauma that he had had, and, and Captain Sulu was there aboard the Excelsior, and it was during right. the events of uh, Undiscovered Country. But that was all in Tuvok's mind, so it wasn't, strictly speaking, time travel. Um, so yeah, Yesterday's Enterprise, The Visitor, Trials and Tribulations, um, City on the Edge of Forever... Year of Hell, past tense, time zero, timeless. I think, and I, I I like timeless, but and it was, it was a standout Voyager episode, but there just, there just wasn't a lot there. Like, yeah, Harry Mm -hmm. Harry Kim was more interesting here than usual because he was like a darker, um, remorseful future Harry Kim. Yeah, Um, it was cool to see Captain Jordy LaForge of the USS Challenger in the future, but he was there for like two minutes. That's the thing that most people remember about that episode. Um, the, the, it was haunting seeing Chakotay walk around like the frozen remains of the bridge and everything, yeah. you know, all the, the corpses of all of his friends and so on strewn about. They reactivate the doctor and it's been 20 years, but for him, it was just a second. And he's got to like lobotomize Seven of Nines corpse to remove her cranial yeah. implants to yeah. use them to send a signal back in time and everything. I mean, it was, it was memorable as a Voyager episode, but I just like dramatically, like there wasn't a lot of character development for the characters there or, or or really much No, but it was some of. good
1: time travel. Similarly
0: work. with time, Time's Arrow is a lark. It's a lot of fun. The Mark Twain stuff is fun. Guinan's good here. There's a lot of that fun, was so good. fun data stuff. Picard and the crew having to fit in. There as was like, a lot
1: of heart, though. There was a lot of... Yeah. I the, don't know. There were there were some complex human growth themes. It was a lot
0: of fun, but it also was, as a season finale and season premiere, it doesn't really stack up to, say, best of both worlds or, or any of the other big TNG cliffhangers. Sure. So it kind of tends to pale in comparison historically and... In, in, comparison to those so I think that would be my ranking and nice. I, I like all of them I mean City on the Edge of Forever I recognize as a, as a classic and just as an excellent piece of science fiction storytelling but a lot of it probably has to do with the style of production and the style of storytelling that, that is of its time it is easier to, for me to connect to the emotions the characters are feeling in something like The Visitor mm. um, and it doesn't even have to do with like specifically what they're going through and how I relate to it it's just the style of storytelling that is more modern you know, the style of dialogue delivery and performance and, and everything from the production design and everything. Like, it's, it's for me, easier to sort of fall into and get swept away by the characters in a more modern story. Like, it's like if you go back and watch a, a rat-a-tat-tat, like, Lauren Lauren Bacall, you know, like yeah. the, or or uh, Spencer and Hepburn, mm-hmm. Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn um, rom-com, sure. you know, from yep. the 30s or 40s or whatever it was. Like, it's hard to get swept away in the the like put you know what i mean to, yeah. like get swept away in the story by that like and if you're not from that time period you can you can enjoy it as a movie and like as an an artifact almost but it you don't really get swept away by the characters in the way that for me anyway in the way that you would for like a more modern production just because right. there's always a bit of a distance same with like when i read an older comic or whatever it's like you can appreciate it but it's hard to really get get into it in the same right. way you know and so for me sitting on the, the edge of forever is the same way so yeah so that'd be my ranking Good ranking. Yep. So should we move on to our shows? I am ready. So we have the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. We have uh, the penultimate episode of Gotham. And then we have episodes of Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow, and Doom Patrol.
1: Yep. We'll try to keep it short and sweet. But, um, sweet, I mean. Yeah. Uh, But spoilers be Why don't
0: we talk about the other stuff first? Because the Star Trek thing might run long. Okay. Um, So Gotham. So this is the second to last episode. and And without spoiling it for you, the final episode will be very different. Hmm. Um in terms of its... Um, now you've put me on edge. ...status quo, one could say. Um, so This
1: did feel like a, a season finale.
0: Right, and you'll see why it felt that way... Oh, because um, it
1: will be an epilogue. They're y- doing yeah, an it's epilogue. It's kind of an epilogue.
0: Oh. Are you referring to epilogue in the generic narrative sense or literally the Justice League Unlimited episode epilogue when you say no. that? No. Am I being too. <laughs>
1: no, you're being too hopeful like, about what I remember about epilogue. No, okay. I mean like when you open a book and it says nine years later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, the last epilogue. one will be kind of an epilogue, like a fanservice y epilogue, one could say. Like, I, I don't want to reveal knew
1: too it. Much. I it. I so, it. So this one kind of gets everything.
0: It. But I feel like it did actually, like. I don't know. It 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 landed for me like the thing of yeah, it did for me as well. Something as simple as like all the the cast and of the citizens of Gotham that have been through so much. Like they all come and stand there with Jim Gordon, and are, and were willing to sacrifice themselves if need be for this guy that has sacrificed so much for them. So it was a patriotic is it, is a nice, thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it's this, it like. Because he's been like all the he's characters that have the been through rainer. so many ups and downs, and he sacrificed so much for the city, and the city seems to just get worse. I mean, that's the story, right? Is that it right, gets worse until idea. Batman yeah. comes along? But um, it seems to get worse and worse, and everybody seems to be so ungrateful. <laughs> that just a reminder at the end that, that, that he is actually Affecting making a difference change, yeah. and that people do appreciate it is like a nice note to end his arc on. You know yeah. what I mean? Even um, though it is
1: supposed to fall to more crap before Bruce Wayne comes in and cleans it up. Yeah, I don't... Batman, something I tells
0: say. me they're not going to make it that... They're not really going to hit that, that, that note too hard in the final episode cool. because for the, all the reasons we talked about as we were watching it, like they can't make it too bad because then it just seems like the guys we've been watching for five years failed at everything sure. you know what I mean yeah. so something tells me like I guess it has gotten worse like if you look at it objectively things probably are I mean obviously now no, with I No know, Man's Land they're yeah. worse but even before No Man's Land it's like you might have been better off objectively speaking with the mob yeah. than you were with all these crazy supervillains and monsters running around yep. right which is the whole point sure um but, yeah, and I feel like the characters got a nice wrap-up. I mean, a lot the main ones, anyway. I mean, I'm not sure there was some grand conclusion to Lucius Fox's character arc, for example. Fair. Um,
1: yeah, he started but, you know, and ended pe- in the Penguin same place. Penguin and
0: Riddler kind of got their little moment of, comra- of camaraderie at the end where they decided not to stab each other in the back, literally. Barbara kind of, seems like Barbara has basically decided to reform, right, for the sake yep. of her daughter. They give her the name Barbara. Um, Barbara Lee Gordon, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was trying to think, did Barbara ever have a middle name in the comics? And I can't remember if it was. I'm sure so. it wasn't Lee. But it's kind of a nice that it's, nice. it's nice for her to do that, and that was a smart bit of writing too because it shows that she's not they're not going to have like this. She and Lee aren't going to have this like bickering right, relationship. Like they're going to accept each other as like this weird tripartite family, yeah. basically. A mm-hmm. um, Bruce's thing uh, with recognizing that all this is largely because of him, and he has to leave. If, if I had if I had changed what well if I had had changed changed two things, one of them would be that I would have liked. The reason for Bruce is leaving to be not just because he doesn't want to bring more heat back down on Gotham, but also for him to explicitly say what we, the Batman fans, know is really happening, which is he's going to go travel the world and learn more skills, right? Sure. I wish he'd say, like, I will be back once I'm ready to to protect the city or something like that. And instead, it just seems like he's leaving. He's leaving to protect the city. He's leaving to protect the city. Oh, not yes. leaving to prepare himself to come back and protect the city. It's a, right. it's a slight difference, but I would have liked a nod to the other thing, too. Yeah. The other thing that I wasn't thrilled about was the the role that Selena had at the end mm. where it, I like that she was I like that they've kind of gotten over the whole like bickering like I'm gonna pretend like I don't sure. really like you thing, which is fine. But the way that like she like she Ca- Casablanca Well Casablanca style, yeah. she was like running after the plane at the end. And I hope I hope that in the final episode where presumably she's going to be very Catwoman esque, right? Because yeah. the whole point of the final episode will be to show the classic versions of the characters. That They don't hint that, like, she turned to crime because Bruce left her or something, which would really be a a disservice to her character. Such a
1: disservice, yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, that would be the other thing. is like, I I feel like they kind of, they didn't damsel her. Like, she's definitely, like, a strong character who didn't Mm -hmm. need anybody to protect her. But they kind of made her seem like she was pining after him at the end. Yep. If anything, I don't know, if anything, Batman pines after Catwoman more than vice versa. Yeah. Right, in the comics yeah. and it's really tradi- it's been that way more in the show also, right? Like Bruce is clearly smitten with her but it takes her a long time to even give him the time of day, right? So, I don't know, the the the, the characterization of her at the end or it it was just the way that it seemed like, mm-hmm. you know, that that bothered me a little bit, but otherwise I thought that it was I thought that it was uh, it was a good conclusion. And Nissa gets away at the end, which I'm sort of surprised by. I can't imagine she's going to come back in the final it episode. Even make they sense didn't really to me need because to save how her did... either.
1: First off, you saw, you heard the dog barking through the thing. They could have just had it, had the dog put an end to her. They should have, had the, dog, off, they should have had the dog. should have the dog jump out
0: and maul her, and yeah. that's the end of the character. There you go.
1: Exactly. That would yeah, have been great. Yeah,
0: I wasn't thrilled with Can her I character. Can I just finish my thought? It Hold on. Like she seemed a little arch the whole time. Like yeah, the actress for sure. Was really she was over the mm-hmm. top with the role.
1: Y- y- well. Hello, this is the show Gotham. Everybody's yeah, I know, but compare
0: over the and same character, and she's way more compelling. And they also
1: wrote her very differently. No, I understand. She didn't really have a lot to work with. Don't blame the actress. Um, but I I also don't like that it was established that it was a two man operating submarine and somehow she one woman was able well, to get away dog. from it. She, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, the dog um, Edward Nigma couldn't get the dog to pull the right levers, but uh, she can. I don't, okay. Well, yeah. she'll put
0: one of those chips in his brain.
1: Oh mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. And then uh, Fight or fetch.
0: Yeah, and then she'll be able to give him commands like the Just general.
1: Don't poop in the middle of the deck.
0: Yeah, but I, yeah. I think I think that it was good. I mean, it it seemed like a little seemed a little rushed in places, and like we said, some of the little. characterization was a little weird. Yeah, but.
1: I mean, it had its its. Flaws here and there, but no, it was a fun ride.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm interested to see your reactions to the final episode because I think that it's going to be kind of like a. I'm
1: interested to look forward to uh, to, to 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 see it because it really did, it really did seem like a season finale this episode. So I was like, "There's one more episode." It oh, it must like be an epilogue.
0: It seemed like a season finale, but if this had been the series finale, I think it would have fallen a little flat because it did, I didn't f- quite feel the climax of it. It felt like they were still holding something. You know what mm. I mean? Like this felt like a. It felt like they wrote this knowing, and they did know, of course, that there would be an epilogue that would really, hopefully, knock it Wrap out Wrap everything park. else Like, up if this had been the nicely. final episode, I think it would feel like a disappointment. Yeah, right now even,
1: it's all in the package. Now it needs a bow, and next yeah, week we're going to get the bow. This could have been a season finale, it.
0: but it didn't quite have, deliver what I would have expected from a series finale, which is good because, obviously, there's one more. Um so Flash this one was called Godspeed this is all about Nora and the so future good. and her origin yeah this was a lot of fun uh, B.D. Wong as uh, as the voice <laughs> of Godspeed Robert Picardo as the voice of Dexter Miles the, uh, <laughs> the curator to... of the Flash Museum
1: well we, we looked back on that one just to catch his voice and we were like oh yeah that's so obvious now both of us missed it in the course of the story we had to rewind to look at it back again yeah. okay short version I love this episode I love everything about the storytelling mechanic that they had and I love that The majority of lines was delivered by women. Can I just tell you that I noticed it and I love it? Because the... I noticed it.
0: I thought it was great. I think it's... Well, not to toot my own horn, but I think that I largely don't notice it when that happens. Sometimes I'm aware of it in Discovery just because there's been so much Star Trek and it's largely been male-dominated that when you have a scene with like four women in Discovery and they're all, you know, they're passing the Bechdel test, obviously, because they're not... If they're talking about a man, they're talking about ways to you know, kill a man. (laughs) They're not talking about like which one of them should date the man. Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, you're right. It was largely... And and this kind of feels like a...
1: And also past the backfill. You know
0: what they should maybe do if they're going to do like a... it's somewhat of a tangent, but if they're going to do as they've been hinting that they might like an Arrow spinoff, which is like the, the future, like Arrow the Next Generation. Oh, yes. They should set it a few years... I don't know. I'm assuming Nora is going to go back to the future permanently at the end of the season. It was, yeah. Well, Arrow, Arrow the future scenes are 2040. Uh-huh. Flash this future is set as t- 2047. So okay. if they want, they could do they could age the Arrow kids up a few years, have Nora come back to the future and stay there 2047 at the end of the season of The Flash, then they could all team up in some Flash Arrow crossover next generation yeah. series with Mia, um William Connor Hawk and Nora uh, solving mysteries or whatever.
1: Yeah, pretty awesome.
0: I don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow, Seance and, seance and Sensibility. So good. This one was fun.
1: That was a lot of fun. I mean, I love this show. It just is fun. It, it really it's leaned into what it is and its identity. And it just it has embraced the silly. And the episodes seem less ridiculous because they are more ridiculous. Does that make <laughs> sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I never mind DC stuff seeming ridiculous if it if it's doing it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, because DC stuff has always been ridiculous. Like, it's always been crazy multiverses and, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, that aside, I'm just saying about and...
1: this particular show, when it started airing in the, the first couple seasons, when it was trying to figure out what itself, what it was, its identity, it seemed like it was... Unintentionally ridiculous in a few places, you know some of the time travel they would unintentionally make kind of dumb plot mistakes or implausible
0: Well, I think the time travel stuff now or, makes as know. much sense as it ever did. It's just that the show has stopped mm-hmm. caring and the view, and as a result the viewers have stopped caring because it's not about the time travel yeah, mechanics yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The time travel I is not the point anymore. The time travel is just it's a like byproduct. Doctor Who. Yes. Like you're not supposed to worry about the logistics of time travel in Doctor Who. It's just a, a way to set it's up a story possible. and get the characters to where they need to be so the story can happen. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Arrow, Lost Canary, this was a good... So this was billed as like the Birds of Prey episode, essentially. And they even make a nod to that at the end where they're like, you know, they're all walking away from the warehouse that exploded and Felicity's like, oh, yeah, we're like Birds of Justice or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you get all three canaries slash sirens here. Yeah. I guess the only canary that we didn't get here was, you know, the original Earth-1 Laurel Lance, right? Well,
1: that's kind of going to be hard to...
0: Well, I know. But I mean, get. like, this is not... You don't have <laughs> a complete of assemblage of all canaries here, okay. you know, but you've got Sarah, uh, Earth-2 Laurel, and... Um, and Dina, um, I'm surprised that it took. Like, I was like, "Oh yeah, Felicity created this little thing so that Sarah can still kind of have a canary cry." But she gave it to Sarah before she gave it to Dinah who's literally been so well, traumatized surprised. by having her throat slit. That's like you wouldn't give it to her first. Yeah. Like, you give it to your old friend who just showed up. But I guess maybe she wanted to make sure it worked first. And Sarah was like, "Oh, I'll take it even if it's a prototype because I need to go help them." And then she proved that it worked, and so now she can fine tune it yeah. and give it to Dinah, I guess. I, I hope that it I liked it when Laurel had it yeah the me original too. laurel yeah. it was around her neck you right because black canary usually has a choker etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. this and the idea of it being like a bracelet yeah unless like that's just like you hold your wrist like out or Iron something Man. that seems less yeah, cool somehow like it's a cry it's supposed to be the canary cry you yeah know? um so yeah I, I hope they change that as far as um Black Siren's character arc in this episode, I think they actually did a good job. So good. Um, it was well performed. Like you, you, you never really bought she was turning back to evil. Yep. You kind of felt like she was doing it just because she felt like this is kind of what everybody expected Expects, of her. Yeah. She was living down to people's expectations, but as soon as, as soon as people gave her the chance, and I like. Well,
1: that, not as soon as she rejected. That well, eventually, once
0: people gave her the chance, yeah.
1: That's what I appreciated too. Is that like that the person who's on that sort of self destructive warpath because of them just sort of (sighs) accepting the idea of failure and and rejecting the idea of getting the support that you would need to, you know, turn a new leaf. A person on that arc is going to take more than one conversation to bring back into the light, as it were. And I appreciated that they didn't try so much, but I also appreciated that on a subconscious level she wasn't really to go full dark mode because... You know, she she did telegraph the fact that she was about to blow people up and gave them enough time to sort of avoid that thing. And she was targeting people in a non-lethal way. I thought
0: they were going to reveal there that she didn't even set the bomb, that it was Shadow Thief that had set that bomb without Laurel's knowledge. That Mm -hmm. would have been a a good way of absolving her of that particular guilt. But instead they said she set the bomb, she just purposely put like a delay on it so that they could. Yeah. Yeah, but that's still, I mean, obviously that's still a risk. (laughs) But but but... I was like, well, just have it be Shadow Thief. Also, this version of Shadow Thief, kind of cool looking, but not,
1: not terribly, very shadow thief esque, yeah. Know? I don't know,
0: um, but that's fine. Um, yeah, and I like the f- So, I, I always used to like the flashback scenes, the five years ago scenes, when they tied in either narratively or thematically with what was happening in the present. And I like the future scene here, too, for the same reason because even the future scene was canary related, you know, it was all and it tied into what was happening in the future, the events that we've been seeing progress in the future, but the themes that were t- touched on here and the characters dealt with in the future. Yep. with Dinah telling Mia about what the, what the canaries being killed by this, like, super soldier guy that the corporation had sent out. And then Dinah, you know, offering a little canary pin to Mia and telling her about what the canaries meant and how she, she, she didn't stand by someone back in the past when they needed her and she's not going to make that mistake again. And right. then, of course, at the end, when Laurel shows up and we see that even though she's gone off to be Black Siren on Earth 2, in the future she becomes a canary, a black canary back on Earth 1 and is... Fully a hero, you know? Yep. And unconvincing old age makeup and a gray wig. Yeah. Um So, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Like, they send her off in the present, but then we see in the future that she's still going to have, you know, that she made it basically. She sure. became the person she wanted to be. But I like that the future scenes dealt with the same yes. themes of like I, what it means to I be like a canary, basically, in. you know? Yeah,
1: I like that it was tied in together. Yeah. The camaraderie and the fact that, you know, just working hard to be a badass is one thing, but having a sisterhood network. Of support and to have each other's backs is what makes that extra step succeed. So do you think
0: Mia will have a codename slash uniform by the end of the season? And if so, (gasps) when do you think it's going to be? Didn't even consider it.
1: But now you've put the idea in my mind. I'm going to say... Oh, dip. Wouldn't it be cool if she became the new green arrow It's got to be generation? green arrow.
0: They can't just have her be no. another canary. She's she's, she's Oliver definitely, Queen's she's an, daughter. Yeah. She's got to be the new green she's arrow. She's got to be yeah.
1: the new green arrow. Or
0: something, or some other arrow, right? Like give her a new like black arrow or something if they have to. Yeah, that'd or be Or gold cool. arrow or whatever. But it's got to be part of the arrow lineage. It can't yeah. just be another no. canary because we've had like five other canaries, you know? Yeah. That wouldn't be special. You don't give somebody... It wouldn't set her apart in any you way. You don't give
1: somebody a badass Lord, like arrow Robin Hood moment... Um, with the dolly shot and everything. <laughs> Although when
0: Kingdom Come, unless you're gonna in Kingdom get... Come, Green Arrow and Black Canary's daughter Olivia Queen was the was the new Black Canary in Kingdom Come. She wasn't uh, she wasn't uh, an arrow. Yeah, she but I don't think Canary. that's relevant here. No, I know. I'm just just in some versions when that when there ends up being. Oliver a queen, progeny you know of oliver queen although obviously he had connor hawk and he was green arrow also so it could go either way some of his kids end up becoming an arrows arrow. some, and end some end
1: of them are canaries. canaries yeah i mean
0: it depends on who the mother is largely i suppose right when the mother is a canary then they, 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 <laughs> i think that's the, the variable um <laughs> so doom patrol this one was called hair patrol uh i guess gross. the beard hunter is i guess the, the beard hunter is coming back right because he just ran off there and they, yeah. they've got information that they need know no
1: from him. no he's not coming back
0: Oh, because he was the killed end. by the the guy. That's there right. You go. The, the um the whatever it was the the Esquilox, the Equilax from the it the,
1: the actually I'm gonna call it Arctic. um a jack jackalope the
0: Canadian jackalope yeah. yeah the
1: Canadian jackalope because um yeah no I mean that was the de- but this was the important thing and just to fast forward to it my main question about that was the beard hunter has this magical power where he can follow the essence of a person based on their beard hair and all that stuff so he ingested excuse me while I okay he ingested the hairballs of of various people in order to track Niles Calder and he winds up where he winds up in some weird alternate dimension pocket dimension who knows where he was but he it was cool this Escher painting of stairs this Qbert level of of I don't know nothingness and then he gets to where he's going and it's the jackalope that we spent the earlier part of the episode getting to know um, that the cave woman was the spirit bearer of so then does Niles Calder have some of the cave lady's DNA or has he how did he, how did that beard hair get into the beard man is my question. Because that's who he followed. He didn't find Niles Calder. He found the Jackalope Lady.
0: Yeah, but maybe Niles had been there, or maybe like that's part of the same dimension where Mister Nobody is keeping Chief. Like so a
1: she's a prisoner too.
0: It could. I don't know. We don't have enough information yet. But I don't. This think is it, the question. I, I don't isn't think it, it necessarily means. Although obviously there has to be some explanation for how he's. I'm amazed the show has gone like 11 episodes without explaining why any of these characters seemingly don't age, like. I'm assuming there's an explanation coming. It seems like one was very close to being offered here the for Niall. The only Nile person, as you and
1: I discussed offline, let me, let me quickly recap for our listeners what we were discussing offline because we did talk about the whole immortality thing. Cliff, obvious because he's a robot, you know, brain robot, got... It. Uh, what's uh, negative man yeah cool um, that's obvious too because you know nuclear power blast plus alien creature cool done um, Rita Far anything blob. we know
0: about radiation burns it means you live forever
1: absolutely um, Rita Far elastic woman blob cool um, it's the, the mystery is really Jane who um how jane is living forever niles calder presumably in this episode we meet him in 1913 and then and at that point he seems to be a regular person in a regular investigative kind of science bureau which then turns into the evil bigotry society that we all know and love um but at that point he seems to be mortal and then he hooked up with cave lady and then maybe as a result of prolonged exposure there he picked up some immortal Vibes, immortal juju. I don't know
0: prolonged exposure was my favorite 80s, <laughs> um, <laughs> workplace drama,
1: so that's that's kind of a question mark. And then obviously, we don't know about Jane. So that's really it. I mean, um,
0: I feel like even Jane, all I have to say is like she's met a human. and so,
1: yeah, one of her it metahuman is, personalities. Yeah, like yeah, like immortality, self healing, or something. That's practically a like gimme. the chief
0: is ostensibly an ordinary person, so there's got to be some sort of explanation coming, and obviously it has. to And do
1: he's with older than all of them. Experiences. And he's older than all of them.
0: Um. Yes. Because uh, yeah, even
1: Rita Far wasn't born presumably
0: back then. born in like, yeah, eighteen sixty or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. To be fifty or sixty years old around the time of World War I. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. But this was a good episode.
1: I really thoroughly enjoyed. You never it. know it what so to good. expect going in. Like no. I wasn't expecting
0: a love story between a caveman and th- th- call the it, yeah. chief and a hairy Canadian cave woman.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, well, there you go. But yeah, that's what I got. Um, <laughs> so the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this one. I thought that I mean it definitely moved fast, but the fact that it was like a sixty-five minute episode it was basically like the length of a short movie. Yeah. Um, they had time for they had enough time for the the character moments. You know, like it, it took they. There was go 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 for like the first chunk of it, but then there was time. You know, there were time for moments between Spock and Michael in the heat of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some great. There was they gave a um, they had good moments with with number one and, and Admiral Cornwell, and then Pike and Admiral Cornwell, and then her mm-hmm. you know farewell for lack of a better term, and then the moment and the moments at the end with you know everybody aboard the Enterprise and Spock's log, and then them them being debriefed by Starfleet and everything mm-hmm. else. Like there there was enough like. Nice slow paced moments here Mm -hmm. Even in the heat of action Like they they I mean The one argument That you can make Much like last episode where even though there was literally a ticking clock, Michael was stopping every five seconds to have a tearful farewell to someone. Mm-hmm. Is it literally, while people were dying around her in this massive space battle, Michael and Spock were having like a five-minute heart-to-heart conversation about how he needs to, like how he's going to go on after this. It's like there's people literally exploding right behind you. Like maybe, like I realize this is the last time they are ever going to see each other, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. But that's that's fine. I mean, you kind of, and the big climax, you, I can forgive that. It was interesting here, and this is, this is something that, again, they've changed from Star Trek canon but doesn't really bother me very much is the idea of like fighters because Star Trek um, space combat has always basically been like naval combat. Mm-hmm. It's been capital ships, you mm-hmm. know, big ships moving relative to each other very slowly, mm-hmm. firing very slowly and deliberately. It's not been like Star, Tr- Star Wars where there's fighters zooming all over the place and there's like dodging and flying in between stuff. And it's never been that, right? right. But here the Enterprise is able to launch I mean, they've always had shuttlecraft, of course, but the shuttlecraft have always been used for, like, short-range landing missions Mm -hmm. and exploratory missions. Like, they'll take it inside a nebula or down to a planet or whatever. They've never launched a shuttle pod to have, like, a maneuverable combat vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. Even the runabouts, while they were used on Deep Space Nine, oftentimes for, like... Um, sort of like adjunct combat vessels Mm -hmm. to the Defiant or whatever or to be launched from Deep Space Nine to engage with the enemy. They were never really like fighters, like with a pilot in there flying around and shooting things. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. always been like a different shuttle, like a bigger shuttle with more weapons or whatever. Whereas here, they not just had shuttles, they had a line from number one last week where she was like, oh, I took the liberty of outfitting our shuttles and our yeah, pods. Yeah, that was great. It's like your shuttles and your pods. And in this episode, they had like little pod fighters, mm-hmm. like seemingly, although I don't think we saw any of the pilots, like presumably like little one man or two man fighters that would like zip around. Mm. I guess they could have been like drones, maybe, because we saw the Enterprises got those little cute looking drones that come out and repair the ship when yeah. bad stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They don't have to send Malcolm Reed out there to get his leg impaled anymore like they did a hundred years before. They moved beyond that. Um, So I'm like, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like the start, the big ships are like the capital ships and they would have like a complement of smaller ships that they could launch, I guess. I mean, the only thing I don't like about it is that it kind of implies that the fact that there are fighters kind of implies it kind of militarizes Starfleet in a way that I'm always uncomfortable with. The fact that they have this detachment just ready to go that's only there for military engagements. It's like I'm always a little wary when it seems like they're making Starfleet too warlike, you know. And I I, I guess it kind of works here because they've just come off of a long, I guess it wasn't really that long. <laughs> it was relatively short actually, Conflict but a bloody with the Klingons, war with the sure. Klingons. Mm-hmm. So maybe Starfleet ships still carry a complement of fighters, but but even 10 years later by the time we get to Kirk's time they don't anymore because they've had 10 years of relative peace. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not I'm not crazy about the idea of the Enterprise having a fighter squadron that it launches. That's too Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars for me. But as a one off thing here, um, shortly coming off shortly of this time of war, that they. Well, would I mean, still don't forget
1: they they were explorers, but they were trained military professionals. You have to go to boot camp before you can serve as like I don't know, a naval secretary or whatever.
0: Yeah, I know, but it's it's the one of the ways in which Starfleet is different from any modern military organization that we have now They're we only kind of call the military because they have those trappings because they're trappings that that they want us the viewer to be able to recognize like oh i see like there's an admiral and a captain and they go to an academy and they have uniforms like that's so we the audience understand what we're looking at really but their mm. but their mission has always has always been you know exploratory and and diplomatic before before um, militaristic. So although they do serve that role when required. So the idea the, the idea that they have like a standing fighting force aboard their ship. As opposed to just all the Starfleet officers being trained to fight when required. Is something that I'm not.
1: I do have to remind you that they do have training exercises. for That they mentioned throughout the uh, history of all the shows. They all have training exercises where they do fight classes and all that. But there's of... a difference. So they're prepared to defend a dif- themselves. There's a difference
0: between the, the Starfleet crew which is there primarily to do science and peacekeeping things being being trained to fight when necessary and having a, and having ships and people on board that are there solely to fight that's something that i don't really like in star trek even I even i guess it, i just
1: didn't even in it.
0: enterprise they dealt with that yeah, tension they because they had the mako's on board and 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 even Yeah,
1: but that predates I know, this but, he, timeline, b- but Admiral so Forrest I even said to, they...
0: uh Archer even had the line to, to Admiral Forrest he's like I'm I don't I don't mind having the military aboard. Like that was he with a Starfleet officer that I don't mind having the military aboard. Like, I understand. Starfleet was not was in its original charter at least and I kind of like that in Enterprise where at first, they didn't even consider themselves military. I know. But after the whole Zindi thing and everything else, by the time you get to Kirk and Picard and so on, they had sort of... they had, the, the stuff that the Makos used to have to be a special detachment for, now all Steve, all Starfleet personnel is trained to do. They don't need to have these special people around anymore. Yeah. But I don't know. Just the idea of having fighters, this, I wasn't crazy about that. But I, you can kind of explain it as a one-off thing because of exactly when this is set and the circumstances. Um but I guess the big thing to talk... So they succeed. You know, the, the thing is that Michael can't travel into the future. She has to go back and relay the signals that we already know were relayed. Yep. And then the suit will allow her to travel into the future because, you know, now it's time for her to do so, basically. You know, like, she's oh, she's closed the loop. Mm-hmm. Um, Spock's shuttle gets damaged. I didn't see what they were doing, actually, when Spock's shuttle got damaged. I'm like, oh, this is just going to be some, like, fake drama where we're supposed to think that Spock is in danger when we know he's not. But, of course, what they were doing there is Spock can't go with the Discovery because none of those people are coming back ever, right? right. And Spock's got to stay to be Leonard Nimoy. So so, <laughs> so, that was why they were They were obviously ah. very careful. With, and that's, you know... Culber decides he has to stay on the Discovery to be with Paul and but it's because Culber has to because none of those people are coming back and you want him to be on the show some more you've got to have him on the ship right so they're very careful with like who was on the ship at the end and who wasn't you Mm -hmm. know none Mm -hmm. of the classic characters can be on that ship and all the new characters have to be on that ship you know what I mean. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, I know. Because history
0: doesn't remember any Right, of them, or, or the and, Discovery or and, the uh, Spore Drive right. or the Red Angel or any of that.
1: And that was very nicely explained at the end too when he, they're talking to the Faceless uh, interviewee. Well, he, he had he a had face. He just, we only saw the bottom sure, half sure, of sure. it. Yeah. You know
0: what it really reminded me? That what kept going through my mind, this is really uncharitable, what kept going through my mind when Spock was like, you apparently they really take Spock's suggestions. He's just a lieutenant, but apparently they take Spock's suggestions really seriously because yeah. they ended up. Well, he also is the Vulcan admi- exactly what he suggested. He's
1: also uh, don't forget he's also the son of the Vulcan ambassador. Right, there could so... be some
0: nepotism involved. Yeah, um, but they're like, yeah, you're right. Like Spock's like, he's oh, like nobody should, nobody should ever talk about any of these people again under penalty of treason. It really reminded me of the Simpsons episode where they had Martin Sheen playing the real Principal Skinner. And oh, our guy was Armin Tamzarian, And they end up running Martin Sheen out literally on a rail at the end of the episode. And they hung a lantern on the fact that Nobody's ever gonna talk about this Just, again. And Everybody's gonna pretend. Everybody's gonna treat Seymour Skinner as if he always was Seymour C- Skinner because they have Judge Snyder there, and he's like, "No one will ever talk about this again." Penalty of torture, and everyone's like, "Yay!" because they're happy to have things exact. It was a, it was a meta commentary on how at the end of every episode of a sitcom, things always go back to exactly they were before, and any weird stuff that happened never gets mentioned again, right? I but it really reminds... I, I I was picturing the guy behind the desk there being Judge Snyder. It's like you're right. Nobody will ever mention this again under penalty of torture, and everybody's like, "Yay!" <laughs> Um, Yeah. But, but, and so, you know, I've seen people say, oh, you know, and even we were talking about this, like, oh, we all know that if Michael goes to the future, she's obviously not going to be stranded there. But apparently, like, that's what they're doing. Like, they were talking to Alex Kurtzman and they're like, yeah. Well, you
1: were talking about that, but I absolutely said, why not?
0: Well, I think it goes without saying that if Michael had been sent to the future without the rest of the discovery, obviously in season three, they were going to be reunited again somehow. It's not like they were going to write Sonequa Martin-Green out of the show or have half the series set in the future and the other half set in the present, right? Either Discovery was going to have to go get her or she was going to have to come back somehow. One of those two things was going to happen. But the, the cast was going to be reunited again. Mm-hmm. But once you once you see that they're going to send the whole ship into the future with all of the new characters, then it becomes a whole different equation. But I didn't realize until the end that they were actually going to go through with that, you know?
1: But that's what they set up in the previous thing. That's well, sure, why but I said they set stuff
0: thing. up and then they subvert it all the time. I mean, that's just that's just drama. Um, but apparently what they're doing here is like this whole, if you look at this, and I've heard some people say that, you know, this whole season was basically trying to clean up the continuity mess the first season made. That's true to a certain extent. But I think, you know, more charitably, you could say that, you know, this was season was about bridging the gap between the status quo of the first season, which was a lot of stuff that we didn't know. Like, wait, you know, Spock had this adopted sister and there was a Klingon War we never heard about yeah. and there's the spore drive that we never see mentioned before and this season was was about you know wrapping that stuff up and bridging the gap between season one of Discovery and episode one of the original series. You mm-hmm. know we end the show yes. it's 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 very um noteworthy that they don't end the show with glimpsing our guys in the future. The 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 season ends with Pike and number one and Spock aboard the bridge of the Enterprise with Spock looking like his classic Spock self. Because the idea is supposed to be like, if you're watching this in the order that it takes place instead of the order that it was created, you could kind of choose to either go off and watch season three of Discovery and follow those characters, or you could go straight from this into the original G-O's series this. and follow this ship and Spock and in this timeline, yep. and you would and everything would flow and make sense either way. Yep. They even have Spock say that his parents have agreed never to mention Michael's name in public, yep. which of course explains why mm-hmm. we've never heard of her. Um, and the, the the whole thing that we talked about at the beginning of the season, when it seemed like Spock hated Michael's guts, uh, yeah. was that oh, of course that explains why he didn't talk about her because she traumatized him as a kid and she he can't stand her. Right. But now at the end of the season, we see that literally he can't he can't mention her because he can't risk you right. know contaminating the timeline or mm-hmm. ask people asking too many questions or any of these and other that they things. Actually Plus, out each of other honor all. for like her sacrifice yeah. and everything. Um, and of course, she has the line to him. She's like, uh, you know, don't be afraid to open yourself up and to reach out to people. And people reach out to you, reach accept back. accept them. Mm-hmm. And, re- and then, of course, there's the Kirk thing, the yeah. Kirk reference, which they have to do, where she says to him, like, find the person that you think is, is the most different from you. You know, mm-hmm. find that one person and reach out to him. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, she's talking about Kirk. Right. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Although I guess you could probably say that McCoy was probably was probably more <laughs> dissimilar to Spock than Kirk was. Yeah, Kirk and they're was the ones like that the had one. the mind milled. Sure, but that's yeah. yeah. Um, but but my mind but so mind. so the thing here was to was to tie <laughs> here. Everything,
1: hold my Katra real quick. <laughs> was
0: to tie everything up, um, bridge the gap between season one of Discovery and the original series, but also set up this new status quo for season season three. So yeah. season three to hear Alex Kurtzman talk about it, is literally going to take place 900 years in the future. Yep. Hundreds of years past any Star Trek we've ever seen before. So now there's going to, I bet there's already a bunch. I want to see the Trek video about this, but I bet there's already a million think pieces out there because there's been bits and pieces here and there about what the future is like past even Picard's time. There's like, oh, there's the the time ships, you know, from like the 27th century or whatever that were in Voyager a couple of times, Captain Braxton and his, his time ship crew, And then there's been, you know, like when um, Matt Frewer there came back to observe that moment Picard was doing, um, yeah. You remember? And like, oh, he turned out he was just a con man from the past who had taken the ship from somebody from yep. the future. Mm-hmm. Like, There's been little met references to the future hundreds of years past Picard's time, mostly just to do with the fact that time travel technology is more common there. But we don't really know anything about the geopolitical. Does the Federation still exist? Does Starfleet exist in any recognizable form or do they just police time now? Like, there's a lot we don't know. And... This time, 900 years past this, in other words, 800 years past Picard's time, is past pretty much everything that I, I don't think we've ever had reference to anything this far in the future. The only thing I can think of is like, yeah, the time ship guys like Captain Braxton and the brief moment in Enterprise where Daniels brought Archer forward to the the, uh, the corridors of the Enterprise J to observe yeah. the final conflict between the starfleet between starfleet the zindi and the sphere builders but enterprise j is like only a few letters removed from enterprise e it would not be 800 years removed right so even that was probably only the 25th or 26th century not the 32nd century which i guess is where we're going so we've never been this far mm-hmm. so i mean the the obviously they've the doors are wide open here like they could do whatever they wanted and they said that like and I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that Brian Fuller created the concept for the show. He wanted it to be... Well, first, it was originally going to be an anthology series. But then he said, no, we're going to keep doing more stories with the Discovery. Well, then, you, then you're then you trapped, right? Because now you're, you're, your status quo is trapped as a prequel. Where if you want to do six seasons of this, you're doing six seasons of a prequel. Where everybody knows you've gradually got to make things more and more like the original series. Well, how do you break free from that? Mm-hmm. If Fuller's long gone. You know, he got Alex Kurtzman and now Michelle Paradise. So, like, what are we going to do? Well... Let's just give ourselves a completely new playground to play in, right? So they could have either created like some new alternate timeline or something, which I think people probably would have been not crazy of because we've already got the Kelvin timeline in the movies. We don't need a third official Star Trek timeline. Mm -hmm. So move it to a different time. Move it way in the future. So now if you want things to be completely different, right? If you want to be essentially Voyager, one Starfleet ship lost in an unfamiliar
1: Mm -hmm.
0: galaxy, you could do that if you wanted to do so. You could have like completely new aliens, completely new situations, or you could do like wouldn't be interesting to see what are the Klingons like? What are the Cardassians like? What are the Fer- Ferengi like? Like all the classic races that they couldn't deal with in the first two seasons of Discovery because canonically the Federation hadn't encountered them yet. Mm-hmm. You can now do. You can, you know what I mean? Sure. You can W- wouldn't it be interesting if you know now the Klingons are in this situation, or the Cardassians are ascendant again, or the the Borg are, are all over the Alpha Quadrant, or something like you know they could literally do the Borg in season. Why not, mm-hmm. right? Because sure. it's been hundreds of years. I mean, what it what it kind of reminds me of is t- of two things. Um, Brian Singer, director of. Um, the Usual Suspects, Out Pupil, X-Men movies, right? Mm-hmm. He had He's a big Star Trek fan. In fact, he had a little cameo in Star Trek Nemesis as like, uh, a, as like a con officer or something. Um, he's a big Star Trek fan. He had a pitch. These were during the dark years after Enterprise and before the J.J. J. Abrams movies when there was no Star Trek for like mm-hmm. 10 years. He had a pitch in for for a revamped Star Trek TV series. I think it was going to be called Star Trek Federation and it was going to take place hundreds of years past Picard. Mm-hmm. The Federation has crumbled right under its own... It's like, you know, as empires tend to do, even sure. peaceful, benevolent ones mm-hmm. fall into decay and and corruption and outside mm-hmm. forces attacking it or whatever. There's no federation, there's no starfleet. One last like the last starfleet ship or like the, some people the discover last Jedi. Well, it's like there's the, basically the last starfleet crew, like a bunch of people find the last starfleet ship or it's like one last mission is launched or whatever. And it's basically they're the last standard bearers of what the federation used to stand for and they have to remind the galaxy what what the federation used to be and to try to create a new federation from the ashes of the old right cool um, so that was one thing it also reminds me of the TV series with Kevin Sorbo Andromeda which was ba- which is Gene Roddenberry which was based on a Gene Roddenberry concept Major Barrett produced it and it was based on an old concept that her husband had created and it was basically an off-brand Star Trek, and it was the same thing. It was hundreds of years after a Federation-like organization had crumbled, mm-hmm. and this was the last ship of people that represented that thing, and they were trying to carry it standard forward and make peace in the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. So part of me wonders if, I mean, none of that stuff obviously is canon because the Brian Singer series never ended up getting made, and Andromeda mm-hmm. is not Star Trek, even though it was kind of based on Star Trek ideas by Gene Roddenberry. Um Part of me would be sad just because Star Trek means so much to me that if, if if they do do something like that so far in the future, even if it's way in the future, like the idea that because doesn't don't you as like a Star Trek fan and an optimist like to believe, even though it's not really that it would realistic, last. This would be the don't you like to believe that the Federation basically just could continues to grow and grow mm-hmm. until it encompasses the whole galaxy and everybody yeah. is at peace? Yes, and everybody is part of this one big democracy. It would be very nice. The idea that the idea that like a few hundred years after Picard, everything that everybody—and this is the way all you know—all societies, all civilizations, all empires rise and fall, or all governments rise and fall—it's it, it is inevitable, realistically. Yeah. But. It would be kind of sad if like everything we've watched all these characters work for ultimately crumbles. You know what I mean? it would be. So part of me kind of hopes they don't do that. Like it would be interesting if they show up and the Federation still exists, but the threats they face Mm -hmm. are are some things we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Or the makeup is completely different. Like maybe planets that are stalwart members of the Federation in the present are now enemies of the Federation. Like what if Vulcan is now an enemy? Like, I don't know. I'm throwing this stuff off the top. Like what if Cardassia is one of the... Members of like the Federation Security Council, but Vulcan and Andoria are now enemies of the Federation or something. Like, I just want the Federation to be, to exist and like and to still stand for the things it always stood for. Yeah, you know, just because yeah. that the the optimist in me likes to you know believe the, that, believe it would that k- that's the Star that Trek it feature. last because it's um, the right way to be. <laughs> uh, but the makeup of it and the threats they face and the the geopolitical landscape of the galaxy can be vastly different. Mm-hmm. But I still want there to be some recognizable thing there. Yeah, but. But that raises its own issues, right? Like if the discovery is just one ancient ship, like literally ancient ship, Mm -hmm. that'd be like sending forward an old, you know, Model C
1: four hundred years into the future to
0: the the Star Trek times. Like, what good are they possibly going to be in any sort of right? Well, I mean, they're
1: going to make a heck of a a prop in the Hollow Suite.
0: Well, but if they're, I'm kidding. Yeah, if there is still a Federation (laughs) and a Starfleet, our guys are going to be completely useless because they're going to be a millennia technology (laughs) out of date. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a historical artifact, it would not be. Well, yeah, but you don't use. want to watch a
0: show about a bunch of people sitting around being museum hey, props. what up? Yeah, 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 I know. But it'd be like if, you know, like what good is, I can't even think of any, an analogy, but you take, you take any technology from a thousand years ago and bring it forward now, what good is it going to be in any military conflict, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to have like a little rapier or something versus... Drones and stuff like it's not, you know what I mean? Like they'd be completely useless. So, so something tells me that the only way you would have drama and stakes is if there is no support system for them when they get there. You know? Yeah. Because otherwise, well, where's the drama come from?
1: Oh, I'm I'm sure.
0: You, you see what I mean still, though, right?
1: I do see what you mean, but I think that there's a way around that uh, around that pylon. I think that you could still have your cake and eat it too. The federation could exist, but like you said, it could be facing threats that only our discovery crew is uh, can help handle. Like some old school that, approach. I don't know if
0: that's realistic. No, because <laughs> look at it this way hang on. Da,
1: da, 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 da they have knowledge that nobody in the Federation has any recorded knowledge of. The whole spore drive thing, the whole everything else, like, thing. Like, maybe. yes, they can travel through time, but maybe they can't travel through all of space. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they haven't mastered that element of it. There's always something mm. that... I don't know. There's a, There seems to be always something that Tilly knows that but, nobody else
0: knows. But, um, <laughs> well, I mean, the continuity in me, in me says that those those Starfleet timeships that Voyager encountered those few times, they could travel instantaneously through space and time because they traveled back in time from the Delta Quadrant to Earth in the yeah. 20th century. So they could do both. They could, they essentially, they, and Janeway even said, you know, you could get us home in a second. And he's like, no, that's not the way the timeline is supposed to go. And our whole thing is about protecting the timeline, right? So I mean, that's the thing, is that if they get to a future where that technology exists, they could be sent back. But the whole point is that they can't be sent back, right? Because
1: I understand. they can't
0: allow this technology to exist in their own time. So even if they are given the choice to go back, they're probably going to say no. They're right. choosing to stay there. Um, So that explains why they don't go back, even if they're able to, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't explain what they're going to do once they're there. Either they get there and they're completely obsolete or they get there and everything we know is gone, which is a bummer.
1: We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to wait and see because no, I'm pretty sure that they saved the, I don't know all of civilization from well, that they did. time forward. Yeah. I mean, Picard to save civilization 10 times over too. That, that doesn't mean there's not going to be They saved threats. the fate that Michael's mom saw happen from happening. Yes. So they are going to encounter people. They are going to encounter situations and they probably are going to be offered the option to go home and refuse it. I think that's the only way that... The honorable thing to do, right? Because like
0: Unless you said... Unless things are so and, bad when they get there that like, those time ships don't exist anymore like, either. Like, like nobody you knows said, how to build them no, anymore.
1: no, I mean, maybe, but like you said canon has established that uh time travel becomes fairly ubiquitous only a few hundred years in the future and definitely more than nine uh less than 900. so um so that's already been established that 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 gun has been placed on the mantle now it's time for us to see it um we'll
0: see i mean part of me thinks that There's that's why they could i mean i was listening like like on the on one of the podcasts I was listening, listening to they were saying that they they kind of would have rather, wouldn't have been interesting if they only got sent forward 100 years. Mm. And now they're rough, and now they're like just post-Nemesis, no, basically. No,
1: you know why? Because then everybody would have expected some uh, some interaction with next-gen people.
0: Yeah, like, but it would, it, would be, it would be after that. But yeah, like basically they It'd would have still it still be
1: like, oh, but oh, but oh... You know no 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 they should be They well, should be free to do their but own But for
0: things. all the 90s and 2000s like TNG Deep Space Nine Voyager each Star Trek show was set in basically in real time to its contemporary shows, right? Like Deep Space Nine and TNG were taking place at the same time, and then Deep Space Nine and Voyager were taking place at the same time. It's not like they had to do some crazy time jump. I know, I'm so, not saying
1: anything that's I know, but and people were like, my... oh,
0: like they could have the next-gen people show up. Yeah, they could, and sometimes they did, but it's not yeah. like that wasn't the point of those shows. No. Um, if you were to move, if Discovery oh, were to go forward to the same time period when the Picard show was going to be set, roughly 20 years after the final next-gen movie, then you would have all of your current all of your star trek shows you'd have discovery and picard they would be taking place contemporaneously and everything and there'd be like a nice clean start like now we can explore new stories and, and we don't have to do prequels anymore right
1: i feel like you can't do that with this particular show because it's been branded as a prequel but do you know what do, I that's mean? what they're
0: doing though. They're it's not they a people anymore. But they already interacted.
1: But here's the thing, though: they already interacted with the Enterprise crew, and so now, if you bounce them forward 100 years, there are a hundred years, they're going to be full expectations, justly so, from the audience to interact with other crews as well, either Deep Space Nine or mm, Voyager, maybe. I or
0: T. I think the fans. I think the fans would want to see that because all fans of want course. that kind of thing. But they'd also be realistic to know that Star Trek shows they do those crossovers kind of things. Every now and then. Yeah, but they'd
1: be expecting something. Even even if it was an only every now and then type thing. Like, we did not expect the integration between uh, um, Captain Pike until yeah. we got it. Like, I we, mean, we saw the Enterprise show up at the end of the, the previous season to this. And we were like, oh, goodness, maybe we'll see something or have a mention of Spock. We did not expect the presence of Spock. Yeah. We did not expect the presence of Christopher Pike. So those were extra boons. But but we were, you know, we were so happy for just the idea of, like, one episode brushing by those concepts that we knew and loved. Because we were like, ooh, it's a prequel and it's kind of delivering on a little tiny promise. Yay! So we would expect some sort of, like, mild interaction with those things. And that's 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 tough so why why not break free if you're gonna go forward go forward a whole bunch and and really it's not like
0: it's not like they're trying to tell the fans okay with these new star trek shows we're doing nothing but new and different things because they're literally doing a picard show where it wouldn't surprise me to have deanna troy and riker and stuff show up they're not above revisiting the old stuff and having classic characters come back why does it have why can't any of that happen in discovery or at the very least like you can have Discovery set in the same time as the Picard show, and just say to fans, "Look, the Picard show is the show for where you're going to get that kind of nostalgia, and Discovery is going to go off and have new and exciting adventures." And mm-hmm. you're not going to, and we're not going to have that kind of crossover. happen. They could just say that, and then the, the expectations will be set, and you could do it. Um, I'm not saying that I necessarily would have preferred that to to sending them that far in the future. I just feel like that seems to me to be if you were if you just wanted to move past it being a prequel, so you weren't you didn't have your hands tied by that anymore move it just pa- move it to like just past the other Star Trek stuff. Just move it just as far as you only as far as you have to barely so that it's no longer a prequel, which is to say around the same time as the Picard show. No. The only reason you would move way past that is if you want to do something completely different, which is what makes me think that you're gonna have no Federation, no Starfleet. Because if you want to have a Federation and a Starfleet and recognizable trappings why nine hundred years in the future, why not like why not like like when they did from t o s to next gen seventy eighty years, right, like that way you don't expect to see old characters show up all the time. You have McCoy there and the pilot, super old McCoy, right, and they did mm-hmm. Spock later, obviously um but the expectation by moving it basically a century in the future, you're like, okay we're we're not it will be a fun treat when we see something old or something referred to that's old, but you don't expect it week to week mm. hmm Similarly, if they want to do that here, set it a hundred years after the Picard show. Set it in the twenty-fifth century, right? The only reason you go nine hundred years is if you want to comp- have a completely clean slate. And when I say when I think completely clean slate, I'm thinking no mm-hmm. Federation, no Starfleet, maybe some recognizable alien races, but in completely unrecognizable forms. You know, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. A, like a like a Klingon Empire that's like chosen like the next the next wave of Klingon warfare is technological augmentation. So they're almost like bored Klingons or something like I don't know, like a, they're going to do something completely different because if you wanted to, if the if you put it this way, if your only purpose in this time jump was to make it not a prequel anymore, you didn't need to go this far. That's basically what I'm saying. Move it to just after next gen. The only reason to do this is not just because you don't want to be a prequel anymore, but because you want to have all the restrictions off. You know, you don't have to, you don't want to have to do like what you, you don't want the expectation where Jonathan Frakes might show up, right? You don't want the expectation that all the stuff that I want, right, from the Picard show was mm-hmm. like, oh, can we find out what happened to Cardassia after the Dominion War? Like, all the fans want to know that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But that's not, that's probably not the kind of story that these writers are interested in telling with Discovery. And the only way to avoid, because you know what I mean? Because otherwise you can't but help but exactly answer those what questions. I'm so move it, yeah.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying, that they want complete, tota- total freedom from all of those trappings. Even just the mild hinting, like it has to be planned for by the writers, has to be approved by the producers, has to be blah, 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 blah. So I think that it's kind of fun to have something completely, just a tabula rasa, a complete blank slate yeah. for them to
0: play with. But I think, I think, mark my words, I think the first time we see a trailer for season three of Discovery... There's going to be some ominous line in that trailer about oh, sure. the Federation doesn't exist anymore. I don't some-
1: think it'll not exist. I just, well, it doesn't have to not exist. Let's put it that way. But um, maybe I don't. Know. I bet we'll you. See. I bet you anything. You it's, think it's they're going to just completely? I'm not. Throw I'm, it out. not gonna,
0: I'm not going to. I'm not going to love it at first. I, I will have to. I'll have to wait. If that's what they do, I'm going to be like a little disappointed at first. But then that's all in the execution, obviously. But but mark my words. The first. The first trailer we see for season three of discovery we'll have some line in there we're gonna see we're gonna see san francisco in ruins or we're gonna see you know what i mean mm-hmm. oh speaking of san francisco mm-hmm. i love that we saw the, the golden gate bridge yeah just yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. been there in every star trek yep right except for the first time we kind of saw it from above yeah and it's not a bridge anymore because why would it be a bridge because there are no cars right it's, and it's one panels. giant solar panel.
1: i love it so much
0: cuz why else would it be there?
1: It's a historical artifact yeah, they, that's they, just they've, collecting it's, sun they've, now. They've
0: made it to, they've given it a function that's beyond so just being cool. a being an artifact. I thought that was funny. That was good. Um, yeah, but that's my prediction is that there's going to be an ominous line in the trailer. Pro- possibly the final line of the trailer after it's already faded to black and it's going to be like Starfleet. I've never heard of any Starfleet like the Federation. <laughs> And it's going to show like the Federation <laughs> crest in San Francisco and it's going to be like with like leaves like growing over, over it, it. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. vo-
1: moss Half broken. Yeah. So, because I think
0: I think that because I think that they know that they're hoping that this, the franchise continues to blossom. Right, the Picard show is just the first of many additional Star Trek. Certainly, we've talked about all the different Star Trek series they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that they're going to want to allow themselves to set at least some of them mm-hmm. in a recognizable Federation around the same time as the Picard show, or within a few decades of the Picard show. Right. Right. Um, they don't want every non-prequel show they do from now on to be about some post-federation status quo. Yeah. So, move this so far in the future that it can be post-federation, but not everything else set after Nemesis has to be post-federation, you know? Mm-hmm. You could do a show about Old Wharf, you could do a show about Cardassia 100 years after the Dominion War without getting anywhere close to mm-hmm. what Discovery is doing. So, I think I think that's why. Like you do it that you do it that way. If you wanted it just to be a more technologically advanced federation with a few different alien races and like the chess pieces moved around a little bit, I don't think you'd do nine hundred years. Anyway, I'm just repeating myself, but that's my that's my prediction. And so, I, I'm I think that I'm I don't know I've gotten used to it being like a prequel that just throws crazy new concepts out there that don't make any sense for the canon and mm-hmm. like, oh, well, somebody, will, some writer will figure this out later and make it all make sense, right? Like Enterprise did with in their final season. Like they came along and like, well, let's tie all this stuff together. Explain why the Vulcans are this way and then why mm-hmm. nobody, you know, does whatever. Um, I kind of had faith that some writer will come along to do this later. So, but they don't have their hands tied anymore. So, I guess I'm happy that it doesn't have to be a prequel anymore because I was, you know, all the Star Trek fans after Enterprise and the J.J. Abrams movies and now Discovery were like, enough with the prequels. Like, move forward, right? Like, a good story is a good story, yes. But like, it does start to feel a little wearing at times. Like, move forward. Like, tell us if you're going to have crazy new stories with new alien races, like the Kelpians and whatever else, it doesn't even have to be a prequel. Like you could have told, put it this way. Yes, a lot of the cool stuff in Discovery was allowed by it being a prequel, like Spock showing up and Pike. We talked about how much we loved Pike, right? Yeah. But you could have done the same basic concept of Discovery, Discovery season one at least, right? Like a revitalized Klingon empire decides to declare war on the Federation. And this new technology has been invented, the spore drive that allows for instantaneous travel anywhere. And this new, and this this untested crew um, led by this, mutineer basically mm-hmm. was seeking redemption has to wage war against the Klingons. You could do that exact same story after next generation. That didn't have to be a prequel, right? You could do that exact same story. The spore drive didn't have to be a retcon. It could be some new technology that's created after Picard's time, which is why obviously we never heard about it anymore because it hadn't been invented yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Discovery didn't have to be a prequel
1: yeah. based
0: on its original conception. Sure. They really leaned into it, obviously, especially in season two yep. to, to, lead into
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah but,
0: yeah. but I, so it's, it's kind of baffling like it, and it's because they've gone through several different showrunners basically like it was conceived as a prequel because it was just going to be an anthology if they knew they were going to be doing multiple years they probably would have done exactly what they're doing now and set it way after the other stuff so right. they don't have to worry about yep. it so it is kind of weird that like it started as a prequel and then it becomes a sequel like I'm not sure there's really a lot of precedent for that yeah, in like in, in, uh, in TV series I
1: like it
0: but yeah it's, awesome. uh, it's really weird but i don't know like well
1: the content of it i really enjoy and they tied everything up in a real n- ribbon and and just getting back down to the ground of the character interactions it made me feel all the feels and so just to just to sort of bring the topic back around to the actual people starring in the show um or being characters in the show. Um, it's just it's just such good storytelling from the perspective of their interactions, their goodbyes, their their conflicts, their uh, camaraderie and what they mean to each other and the the idea of a family being so tightly knit and then being pulled apart by all of the sequence of events that's just adding to the heart-wrenching nature. I mean, it gives you the reasons for the heart-wrenching nature of the the story and the way it ended the bittersweet goodbye, as it were. And, um, and, And a sign of hope at the end where Spock sees his answer that his sister is okay and that he can go about his life. He'll know he'll never see her again, but he knows at least that she's alive, she's okay um because the seventh signal told him so and and that unspoken moment between him and christopher as they looked at each other and they're like yeah we know what this means but it'll be spe- it, it, we won't talk about it obviously because it's treason at this point um to talk about it but they, they they both know what that signal means and i think number one does as well doesn't she yeah <laughs> yeah she does she was in the debriefing room as well um I don't know. It's just the themes of the show. Well, I mean, and everybody the in the show, everybody on so the Enterprise,
0: good. at least knows about the sport drive because they saw it in action.
1: I understand. That I'm just talking about the people now, and yeah. it's just it was a beautiful note to end on. And um, I mean, it, I can't wait for season three. The, the
0: nobody ever speaks about it again thing really relies on a lot of like, because because it's not just it's not just the people that.
1: Oh, hang on, hang on, it's hang on. Everybody, any Hold of on. those people
0: had ever met, Hold right? Like everybody on. that Saru had served with throughout his entire Hold career, on. or Michael, or.
1: No, no, no. First off, precedent has been set for things like that to happen now. Like even in the government, like you you have CIA employees who are so high up on the top secret roster that and there are hundreds of people with that kind of status and every single one of them knows how to keep a secret. So... For, for an organization of this caliber I'm sure there are tons of missions that they can't talk about and so this is just another I, one to I guess add it's to the
0: the, I guess it's not that they're pretending those people never existed they're just pretending that they died in an accident instead of going forward into the future exactly. that was the cover story yeah. Yeah. so it's not like nobody's ever allowed and to mention Michael with, Burnham again and it's,
1: that's what happens with black ops missions yeah. all the time you know So yeah.
0: I, I I forget I forget that because nobody's ever mentioned them in other Star Trek like in my mind I'm thinking like oh everybody has to pretend they never existed erase them from existence but, like no. all records of Michael Burnham have been expunged from the Federation archives but no it's just that they, they say that they died instead of fighting died in a, a sport drive accident, which yep. is why nobody ever mentions the sport drive again instead of fighting against control because they're also covering up seemingly control so that nobody yep. knows about the, that technology exactly. either, or the Red Angel. Yep. Yeah. And of course, the last thing I'll say is that it, and it goes without saying that now everybody's clamoring for an Enterprise, I don't know what they would call it because they they've they already used the name Enterprise, an Enterprise spinoff starring Pike, Spock, and number one is yeah, played by yeah. these actors. And Alex Kurtzman knows that that's what people are asking for too. Pardon me. I mean, we know that they signed Ensign Mount and Rebecca Romijn, and presumably Ethan packed for a one season thing only, mm-hmm. but of course that doesn't mean that they can't re-sign them for something else. Exactly. I mean the exactly. history is replete with characters who were brought on for a one season guest star role and then later ended up doing something, headlining else. their own Absolutely. show or coming back for whatever. So, so awesome. Yeah, and and that I feel like, it would I mean, aside from the fact that everybody loves those those characters and that cast and the revamped Enterprise bridge and everything else, um, it would help. Now you've got... It would help keep their portfolio varied, one could say, right? Because now you would still have a prequel, right? Yep. And then you would have the Picard show, which as someone who grew up with like next gen, I can't help but think of as kind of the present, right? Like the next gen timeline is basically the present yep. and everything else is a prequel and everything after that is the future, right? Yep. Yep. So you've got Discovery way off in the future. You've got the Picard show in the present, which is to say the late twenty twenty fourth, maybe even by now early 25th century. And then you've got the... Presumably the Pike spinoff, if they do it, set in the past. The only question mark is the Section 31 show. Because Giorgio was still on the Discovery when it went to the future. Mm -hmm. But we know she's getting her own Section 31 spinoff. So is it going to be a prequel showing her Section 31 adventures before, like in between Season 1 and Season 2 of Discovery? Right. Or is she going to somehow find a way back? Because surely the Section 31 show is not going to be set in the 32nd century. I, I can't imagine, right? I, the Section thirty-one show would have to be set around the time period of because they also kept Ash Tyler in the past, right? And mm-hmm. they, but charged with cleaning yep. up Section thirty-one, yeah, exactly. So I have to imagine the premise of the Section thirty-one is going to be Giorgio comes back somehow, and she and Tyler fight to clean up Section thirty-one while having cool spy missions. Exactly, that's got to yeah. be the premise, that's, right? But. Yeah. but so she comes back, but nobody else does, I guess. That's kind of weird, but I guess necessary for the show they want to do. I don't know. That's a that's a little... Because then you've kind of broken the seal, right? Because now if one character comes back, the question is always going to be like, well, can more characters come back? Why don't more characters come back? They could just... Like, again,
1: per- time travel at that point is going to probably be very ubiquitous. So the answer will probably be yes, she, but they can't. They could.
0: Can't. I know. But they could like... Couldn't they do like what Picard said in First Contact is find a small little island and stay out of history's way? Like if Burnham <laughs> really wanted to come back and spe- see Spock again, she could... You know, mm-hmm. come back, change your name, get plastic surgery, you know, like mm-hmm. they always used to do in the next gen, just have the doctor mm-hmm. wave a thing at them and they look like a completely different person, mm-hmm. or a completely different species. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could, you see what I mean, right? Like you start to ask these questions once one person has come back. So I wonder how they're going to thread that needle. Oh, you, uh... It's kind of like... I the, think it'll be more it's of it's an honor It's weird that they've things. announced it and then she goes to the future. It's kind of like when they announced Legends of Tomorrow and that Katie Lots would be starring in it when currently her character was dead on Arrow. And they're yeah. like, I guess they're going to have to bring her back somehow. But we when they were Spoilers. doing that, we knew it was yeah. because she was getting her own show, right? We know Giorgio's getting her own show. We're like, I guess they're going to have to bring her back somehow. <laughs> so that's a little weird. I kind of, I kind of, kind of would have been, I kind of wish they had waited to announce the Section 31 show until after this. Because I was thinking like, Giorgio can't go. She's got to be here for the spinoff, right? So that was, that kind of took me out a little bit, a little bit but that's, that's not really important. No. Yeah. Anything else to say?
1: Uh, no, I I'm just looking forward to the next season.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, too. I, and, and if they do things like some post-apocalyptic, you know what I mean? Some post-Federation, Alpha Quadrant, something. I'll, I'll get over it, you know? It's just, I do think that, that you agree with me, right? That that would be kind of a bummer?
1: That would be a bummer. It's
0: not like Star Wars, where these governments rise and fall with every trilogy. You don't no, really get it too idealism.
1: Attached. I mean, you hope that one thing that survives is idealism. So even if the, uh, I, I hope... This is my prediction, ready. I think that the showrunners don't really want to do that thing cuz it would it would be everybody's expectation, right? Just like you established. I think that what they're instead going to do is that it evolved. And it either, I yeah, hope it doesn't evolve preference. to like a negative, corrupt no, organization. Not, that's the one thing like they're not Like what he was do. doing, like what what the, um, they had the digital short or whatever, that that Star Trek short where, where oh, that's the guy the other big question was mark, saying Calypso short, yeah, the Calypso that, yeah, short. The Calypso yeah, short.
0: that's the other big question, because everybody was expecting that to tie into they, this somehow. Because
1: they tied in the other two shorts, didn't they? They tied in Saru's yeah, short and, and they tied close. in, they are like Discovery And they had, tied been, in had been
0: adrift for a thousand years and they're traveling 920 years into the future. So those numbers are pretty close close. So, but was that future averted by these events? That's like, was that the future sense. where Leland kills everybody aboard the Discovery, takes a sphere of data and leaves and destroys all the planets and now, but no, because no, all be. sentient he life was, was wiped out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that is a bit of a question. Of course, all we know is that Discovery was left to drift for a thousand years. Yep. We don't know that it was a thousand when? years from now. Exactly. It could be a thousand years from the 32nd century. That could have been the 42nd century, sure. right? We have no idea. Yep. Yeah. So, I, one thing one thing I will I will guarantee you they were not going to do cuz the fans would go to their houses and drag them out into the streets and execute them. <laughs> they are not going to have some dark dystopian evil federation.
1: That's what I was hoping that it wouldn't be. It's like either some gonna, corrupt it's either gonna, version of the either federation. the federation went
0: so. out holding going they went down with the ship yeah. adhering to their principles the whole way it's just the outside forces were too great for them. Or or this they is, is still the federation it's just it's just like a way. like if someone c- came from a thousand years from now to now Western civilization is influenced by like the Greek and Roman empires and the British colonialism and everything. like it would the trappings of society would be recognizable to them. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. There's still buildings, there're still books, there're still, you know what I mean? But the 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 name of the government and everything like maybe it's not even called the federation anymore. Maybe it evolves from the federation. Right. You know? Yep. But yep. it's in the same way the countries change exactly their names, sometimes governments rise and fall, but it's still the same like like Chinese that's... like Chinese culture. Like they say that Chinese culture is the longest uninterrupted mm-hmm. span of history. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they can there was no point at which their culture stopped. And they had a dark age, and then it started again. It's been continuous. But, of course, governments have risen and fallen. You know, Mm -hmm. dynasties, communism, all these other things. There's been revolutions, but it's been one continuous thing. The borders have changed. It's going to be something similar to that. There will be a government which recognizably can trace its roots back To To Jonathan Archer, yes, but it's not. It might not even be called the Federation anymore. It might seem strange and unusual, and like dark and unpleasant to us in some ways. Much in the same way that someone came from a thousand years to now, there are aspects of our modern society that we take for granted that would probably seem dystopian to them, right? Mm, Like you you all stare at these screens all the time, and you're all like you you're you're all the pollution and like we take it for granted and yeah some of that stuff isn't great but we you know what i mean it doesn't mean we're living in some dark dystopia like the world's better in some ways most ways but a little worse in other ways you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and something tells me it's going to be that would be that would be my hope that would be my hope that they do a real big culture shock thing yeah but it's not but that's not all bad it's
1: kind of what i expect actually that's That's my hope
0: but something tells me that but that's my, my concern is that if they want to do that it's the sheer magnitude of the time jump. It tells me that they want things to be completely different, not just an evolution of what we know. I hope I'm wrong about that, though. But we've been, we've talked about that for long enough.
1: Yeah, so if you want to reach out to the show, uh, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? Oh. <laughs> Falcon salute. Live long and prosper. I can't
0: hear me doing it. <laughs>